Hey, this is Patrick Tanner, and you're listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. Welcome to episode number 23 of the Minnesota Music Shakedown, a podcast dedicated to spinning some of the best original Twin Cities and beyond area music. Featured this week are conversations with Patrick Tanner about jazz and his new album, Sunnyside Up. Also, part two with the legendary Kevin Bow, who discusses his new album, Half Past Never, plus music by the Sunny Era. I'm your host, Mark Sterry. Check me out at MarkSterryMusic.com. And thank you for supporting live and local music. Hi, we're the Sunny Era. And you're listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. Starting and we know, but it's going on so long. 
That was the Sunny Era with their song, The Start and End We Know, off their new album, The Sky King. Interviews coming soon. Next up is songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, owner of Bread Sound Studios, Patrick Tanner, discussing his new album, Sunny Side Up. Afterwards, check out his new song, Gonna Be Who I Wanna Be. Patrick Tanner, welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. How's it going today there, Patrick? It's going great. Just working in the studio today, so I'm having a lot of fun, as per usual. What are you working on today in the studio? Uh, Today I'm working uh, with a client. His name is uh, Jim Sheehy, singer-songwriter, and uh, another person here from St. Louis Park, where I reside. So it's kind of a a neighborhood affair. This is his second record, and uh, I get to track it and mix it and uh, make him happy. Nice. We'll send it my way for the podcast when you're done. Okay, I can do that. Do you master it all, Patrick, or do you send it off? Uh, it really depends. Uh, if it's if there's money in the budget, um, I'll usually send it off, but I can do it on my own, too. If I'm working on my own stuff, uh, my own songs, and I'm, I'm the one who's you know recorded it and mixed it, and I know exactly what I want out of the mastering, I uh, usually end up doing the mastering as well. Have you ever messed around with, let's say I, I, I do, I record a lot of my shows and I release them on YouTube just kind of just to add content to my website. And sometimes I, I have actually have a, a mastering app. I forgot how much I paid for it, but I'll send the song through that. What's the difference between just what does that do compared to like a human ear mastering a uh, human ear. Uh, well, I've tried. There's there was a, an online service that was marketing pretty heavily a few years ago, and I shall not name them. But basically, you know, I, you send your track in, and then there is an algorithm they apply to that. And um, I don't know if it's gotten better since, but it really um, it fell flat. I think. Uh, you know, I, it's kind of like, you know, when you order something on Amazon and then you get two more recommendations that are not at all what you want, but just based on an algorithm and what you bought. Um, I think to master something properly, you just have to have a lot of hours doing it and learning how to listen and what to listen for. Um, but I don't know what the future of that is exactly. Mastering software has gotten more intuitive and better. Um, I'm not at a point where I want to hand any of my records over to uh, some sort of artificial intelligence to, um, you know, drive the last nail into my coffin or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm know. not real impressed with it. I'm just using it for like when I drop live, record live covers and throw it on YouTube. I just I can't even really hear any difference whatsoever besides it turning it up slightly. So yeah, I used to send all my stuff to like Ryerson and all them back in the day and they did outstanding. And, and I'll probably, when I'm serious about a record, I'll probably do it that way. Yeah, I, I think so. When it's, when it really matters and um, you know, it's important to remember too, that all the software that you can buy is still based on, uh, you know, physical, uh, heavy equipment, you know, compressors and EQs and stuff like that. So it's still based on something that's real. So I guess the final frontier or the next level for mastering would be something that is not based 
on trying to emulate technology from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, but we're not there yet. Okay. What, what's some projects you have going on now at Bread Sound or some new updates you have? Okay. Well, the, the, the thing I'm really excited about right now is actually Tina Shalesky's new album. And um, it's, uh, gee, I don't even, I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to talk about it, but it's really, really different. And it involves a lot of really, really good musicians that I've never worked with before. And it's also in a, in a, in a field of, of music that I'm kind of unfamiliar with. Um, uh, like what, like you, it, you and her go way back. How is it, how is it yeah, really that yeah. different? Yes. And uh, I think this is like the thing about her that impresses me so much is that, you know, we're the same age pretty much. I'm 57. She's 56. And she continues to grow and she she wants to try different things. She is she hasn't settled into any one type of music. So, you know, we did we've done everything from punk rock to uh, covers album. And uh, her voice just keeps getting better and better. And we've worked together in one capacity or another for 39 years. And um, to have a working relationship that stretches that far into, uh, uh, into the past is rare. And I think the older I get, the more I appreciate something like that. You know, that's very interesting. A little side note here. I recently had Dan Murphy on from Soul Asylum featuring his new band. And then I realized yes. I told him that my very first concert I ever saw was Soul Asylum, Gin Blossoms, and Tina and the B-Sides. You guys. Holy crap. That was the first concert I ever saw in Somerset, Wisconsin. That's a really good bill, too. A lot of variety on that bill. And there was a heavy metal band called Brother Kane on that bill as well. It was their four bands. I should look. I still have the ticket stub somewhere. That's awesome. I, I wish we could see more bills like that. You know, like they in the late 60s, you could get, you know, you could get like Jefferson Airplane and Miles Davis on the same night. Oh, and, yeah, uh, man. And uh, it was not as curated for a particular audience or age group as it is now. Perhaps the stakes were not quite as high as they, the, as it is now with festivals and things like that. But uh, it would be cool to see... Uh, uh, a, a bigger variety, I think. I agree. Absolutely agree. Um, Patrick, so, oh, keep finishing your story about Tina. Um, yeah, so, um, like I said, it's, it's, it's a different kind of music for me. And uh, the thing that I've been getting into a lot uh, in the last year and a half, two years, is jazz. And... Um, and it feels like it feels like rock and roll when I first came upon rock and roll. There was so much to hear, so much to absorb, so much to learn. And um, I've read literally hundreds of books on the topic of beat-based music like rock and roll and all, all the stuff, all the different varieties thereof. So I, I think I know a bit about it, you know. But jazz, that was something else altogether. And I had a copy of Miles Davis's uh, Sketches of Spain for years. And about one, one, once a year, I would put on this record and I would, I would go like, God, I still don't get it. I don't understand what's happening on this record. 
And um, I think what I had to do was just set aside everything that I knew about rock and roll. And, you know, you become conditioned to that one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four music that your brain doesn't really absorb stuff like Miles Davis, uh, uh, Bitches Brew or something like that, because you're so conditioned to, to listening to things that just follow a pattern, you know, four, four time. And um, so little by little, I've been, I've been letting go of that and letting the jazz in. So it's been a lot of Miles, a lot of Coltrane, uh, Roland Kirk, Warren F. Coleman, I love Roland Kirk. Dude, he plays everything. He's the the (laughs) best. He's such a one-off, you know, even in in jazz. And and the fact that, you know, Blind still plays multiple instruments at the same time, invents new instruments, has a stroke, keeps on playing, keeps on making record, and and basically, you know, doing that up until, uh, you know, the second stroke and then, you know, passing on. But I, that individualism in jazz is something that I really, really appreciate the, the older I get. And that it seems like uh, all these guys knew they weren't going to be as big as rock and roll. And I think that bought them a certain kind of freedom in how they created. And um, that freedom of expression is something that I, I really, really love. Not to stereotype, and I am joking here, but one thing to dodge maybe, Patrick, with your obsession with jazz is maybe skip the heroin addiction. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> I, I think I'm just too, I'm, too, I'm, I'm, I'm too old to start now. You know, it seems like I, I should have done that sooner, perhaps. But yeah, but even Coltrane, you know, found his way through that and out of it and, and created great stuff after, um, so that's kind of where my head is at now. You know, everybody else goes to bed in the house, and uh, that's when I get weird. And I, you know, I um, I listen to some um, some jazz. Yeah, the guitar like West Montgomery blows my mind. He's one of my favorite jazz artists, and I just can't figure out what scales he's using and stuff. It just kind of trips me. You, you can hear it, but uh, yeah, I, I've I've loved jazz for a long time. Some friends of mine got it, me into it years ago. But I kind of I haven't done what you're doing, like deep study into it. I kind of leave it this this magical land. I really don't know how it works and just appreciate it for as it is. Yeah, I'm reading a book on Sonny Rollins right now. And and uh, there's a part in the book there where he's like the new kid. And all of a sudden he gets all this press and all this attention. And everybody says this is the future of jazz. And his reaction to that was saying, no, I'm not, actually. And I, I, I'm going to take two years off and I'm just going to practice. <laughs> and that's what he does. You know, he's like basically being praised, you know, like, like the future of jazz. And his reaction to that is just like to go back and just rehearse and practice his craft for two years before coming back. That's unusual and uh you know it's like that kind of dedication that i i really um i like and respect somebody who who feels like they they can walk away from fame uh in an effort just to get better at what they do uh highly unusual 
And uh, so hats off to him. Absolutely. Uh, well, Patrick, I got to steer you quick. Let's talk about your new EP, Sunny Side Up, your summary poppy rock and roll record. Listen to it all morning. I should have played a song on it last episode. Uh, can you tell us how you got this album started? Uh, what was your inspiration for it? And did you track? Did you play all the instruments too? Yeah, I did the whole thing, recorded it, uh, played it, mixed it, mastered it, all that stuff. And it was, you know, it's, it was like it's been a year and a half since my last album. And uh, I have another couple of albums planned, but I wanted to have something out uh, this spring that kind of after the winter that we had, which was just a soul sucking uh, trip to hell. Yes, I think, uh, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, the, the disappointment is like, oh, we've gotten all the snow, but no, we're going to get more. We had all the cold. We're still going to get more cold. So I wanted to, it was kind of like I wanted to celebrate, um, you know, the change of the seasons. And my favorite flower is the, the dandelion. And so I started thinking about the dandelion and um, how much I appreciate that as a flower and how maligned it is and how you will pay good money to uh, not have any of them on the lawn. Uh, but I'm kind of of a different mind. I mean, to me, they're just like a million suns staring up at you, basically saying, hey, it's us again. Here we are. Maybe this time you won't try to kill us because we're just trying to cheer you up. And so with this EP, I wanted to uh, have four songs that all had that defiant optimism of the dandelion. Basically, you know, optimism in the face of, of a reality that will probably end you in some way. <laughs> um, um, so I wanted to do something like that. So all four songs is basically four different ways of being an optimist. I see that they're very up tempo, uplifting. Uh, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was. I think it's a great EP, man. And I totally see that. Um, it was a soul sucking winter, as you say, and it is. I think your listeners will find this refreshing. Well, now that summer's here, pretty much, they still will find yeah. this, uh, this EP refreshing and kind of a, a like slamming a kickstart for their summer holiday here. Yeah, and I'm I'm not really known for my optimism in in my lyrics. You know, it's not really what I do, uh, but it's it's something that that I wanted to have a hand at. You know, there is still a lot of, of of great stuff, and I thought maybe that's a different side of me that that people don't get to hear. And uh, so it felt kind of important to to let people know also that I'm not just somebody who walks around with a cloud over my head all day. Uh, <laughs> um, what's your favorite track off the EP? Uh, like the porcupine God, one. Uh, yeah. I, that, you know, actually I have a friend in Sweden who uh, was a big, uh, champion of my my last album that I did last year and who also helped me get a bunch of airplay in Sweden. Um, so I let him pick the single he, and I sent him like 80 demos and he said, that's the one. And uh, so I just said, okay, because, you know, his opinion is as good as anybody's. And, uh, 
and he picked kind of a hit once before. So I figured, why not that one? Um, and uh, and I like the imagery of a, of a porcupine and penguin. It's actually the nicknames that uh, me and uh, my wife, Michelle, have for one another. Uh, hint, I'm not the penguin. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's about their, uh, you know, adventure, like a fictitious adventure. And uh, and it's about the song is about optimism, but also about resilience, you know, um, about not giving up and uh, and about moving forward and finding the good things in life. Sounds great. Are you going to perform any of this stuff live? I don't know. I really don't have anything planned. I'm booked solid in the studio for months. And um, as you know, I was playing in a particular band for seven years and, you know, playing four shows a week, uh, year in and year out. I kind of felt like that's probably plenty for a while. Um, And... um, yeah, right now it's all about the studio, I guess. How's yeah. your family all doing? Doing really well. Michelle started a new job. Uh, she's uh, doing social media for the city of Edina. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. And uh, Elliot finished up his uh, first year, his PhD program at the U. Um, so that's going really well too. And I think we're, this time we're, uh, we're just looking forward to the summer of doing not a lot of, uh, anything. We're not going to go visit the pyramids or anything like that. I think we're just going to try to enjoy the weather. Enjoy the weather and count the dandelions. That's right. And, uh, and they're everywhere. It's funny. And I walk down the street and you can see who, uh, who, uh, were trying to fight the dandelions and then you, you you see other people who either just gave up and let the dandelions do what they want. And then I'm sure there's a few people like myself who who just enjoy the dandelions. And, um, you know, you can make a salad of that if you're so inclined. And if you are a drinker, you can make wine out of it. And uh, it's great for the bees and uh, and all that other stuff. So, um yeah, I can't I can't say uh, they're weeds. To me they're just uh, flowers.
would like to take a minute or two to thank the two sponsors of this week's podcast, ID Chrysler Zombroda and the B-Dale Club. I just finished a month working in Turtle Lake, Wisconsin, directing the play, teaching summer school, and I put on a lot of miles on my new 2022 Jeep Cherokee X. What you got from ID Chrysler Zombroda? And I tell you, I still absolutely love that vehicle. Rain, shine, looking forward to testing it out in the snow. But I absolutely love this vehicle. Go talk to Monier down at ID Chrysler Zombroda. And their philosophy is simple, time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out their inventory at ZombrodaCDJR.com or take the beautiful drive down US 52 to 1900 Roscoe Avenue, Zombroda, Minnesota to visit them in person. Business hours are Monday through Friday, 8 to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 9 to 5 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Check out ID Chrysler Zombroda today. Enjoy a safe summer season full of adventures and memories out on that open road in a brand new ride. Also, the BDL Club, the BDC 2100, one of my favorite bars in Roseville, St. Paul, Minnesota. Located in the corner counter of B and Dale, their motto is a place for family, a place for friends, a place for fun, and that is a stone cold truth. I took the whole month of June off to teach out of town, so I haven't been around the BDL much for shows, but I did make it up last Saturday after playing PD Pappies to see Jay Walter and the Rectifiers rock the BDC 2100. It was great to see those folks. Natalie, Shelley, Dusty, entire bar staff, all state-of-the-art cocktail wizards. As of late, my summer libation of choice is the classic screw-up cocktail. Another quote, 16-time world champion Ric Flair, tasted little devils. Live music, pool table, pull tabs. Tuesday night, Chess Society, Bingo, Meat Raffle, Bocce Ball Thursdays. Not sure that's going on still yet or not. And much, much more. B-Deal's got it all. Stop it for a cold one today. Next up is part two with Kevin Bowe discussing his new album, Half Past Never. Afterwards, check out the title track. Fascinating, fascinating scene. I love when people had that experience of those Longhorn days. The Suburbs is one of my favorite bands of all time. I've had Hugo on the show and, and just hearing about all those crazy what days. What a great human being. Is oh, he yeah, man. Is he just the best? Absolutely. Absolutely. He nice. helped build the studio. He oh, did he really? Yeah, so it was great. These two drummers in here. Um, it was it was an amazing time. And I was so young and so stupid that I didn't realize, because you could be at First Avenue and Prince is playing in the main room with The Time and Vanity Six for five bucks. And then you wander over to the entry and the replacements are playing. And I didn't realize how lucky I was to be part of such a magical thing. I thought that's like, well, this is what music, this is what it's like everywhere. You know what I mean? Fascinating. Yeah. Morris Day in the Time is my other favorite Twin Cities band. Um, love them. Jelly Bean's been on the show. I absolutely love Morris Day. I mean, I know it's Prince and all that stuff, those first couple records, but I just Who cares? I, I think Did you read just, his book? Morris's? No, I did not. It's amazing. It's so great. I have never seen the time suck live. I've seen them so many times, and I always said, you know, maybe they're not the best band in the world, but they are the funnest band in the world. It is impossible to be sad listening to the Times music. I've noticed that. I play music about four or five nights a week for the last 20 years, and I recently have had a fascination with trying to emulate that Minneapolis funky R&B sound. And so I cover probably four or five Morris Day in the Times songs. And people, if they know them or not, it's a totally fun vibe. Like I'll cover oh. Cool, Jungle Love, The Walk, all that kind of stuff. I do. I loop 
I play it and play drums and the guitar and play a little octave pedal or whatever. And again, it sounded pretty close. And it doesn't matter if they know the song or not. Those songs were infectious. It's hard to be that fun. It's not easy. As a songwriter, I'll say, for some reason, it's easier to write a song about <laughs> Nate Duncan, who from Trailer Trash, who books the state fair. I love he Nate Duncan. Quote. Who doesn't, right? He has this great quote when once he was telling me, you know what kind of bands we're looking for for the state fair? Uh, he goes, well, I'll tell you what we're not looking for. We're not looking for that guy who gets up on stage and says, all my life, I've suffered for my art. And now it's your turn. <laughs> it's like, and you know what I'm talking about, oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And the time are the polar opposite of that. Everything they do is so fun. Um, I was so happy when Bruno Mars and uh, Mark Ronson did Uptown Funk, which in my mind is a, a loving tribute to the Times music. I agree. You know, Absolutely. I hope a lot of people who heard that went back and discovered the Times catalog because there are so many fantastic songs. Yes, I totally agree. Well, we're here also to talk about Kevin's new record, Half Past Never. I was going to ask you about some of the songs I thought were standout ones. Maybe you can talk about the production, um, the just the whole genesis of the project. I know it kind of came during COVID and you didn't plan on doing a solo record, but then decided to put this together. Um, actually, before we get to that, can I ask you one more question? So I recently saw Bruce Springsteen in town with my aunt. She took me. Wow. I, I couldn't afford that. But I know you've done <laughs> stuff with, with uh, Little Stevie, and I saw them jamming on your song, The Blues Is My Business at one of little Stevie's shows. So when you interact with these people or like track songs, them or whatever, like when they come to town, do you get together with them or how does that work? They text you or how does that work? Uh, all different ways. Now, little Steven, in the case of little Steven, he's a very approachable guy. All right. There are like, there is a guy who does not have any attitude or put out, puts on any airs. And um, so it's, it's kind of the beginning of the story. Isn't that, well, the beginning of that the story of that song is I wrote that song in Nashville with another guy. And I will tell you, it wasn't my title. It was his idea. And uh, he has since passed away. But uh, we wrote the song and then. Uh, wasn't it for Etta James or something? It wasn't for anything. It was just, you know how it is in Nashville. You're just like, OK, it's Tuesday. We're going to write a song. <laughs> right. It was that. And he had the title and I loved it. We just we finished it in an hour because I mean, how could you screw up a, a title that great? It's pretty hard to screw it up. So then we did a little demo of it, and the first person to cut it was Mick Sterling. He put it on an album he did way back then. And then um, I had a call from a guy. I was kind of riding this blues rock wave at the time because I had written all these like the platinum songs for Johnny Lang and Kenny Wayne Shepherd. And so despite the fact that I was this aging Jewish punk rocker, I got pigeonholed as a blues rock guy. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm happy to be pigeonholed at all. Um, and so then this guy called me up. He said, I'm producing Etta James next album and I'm looking for songs. And I was like, well, good for you. That's awesome. And I it was back in the day where you'd burn a CD and mail it to them. So I did. And I never, I thought I'd never hear from the guy again. I didn't even know him. Um, and then a year later I get this phone call and it's the guy and, and, and he's like, I got someone who wants to talk to you. I'm like, okay. And it was Etta James. And we talked on the phone for a long time and she was very funny and we got to be good friends. 
And she cut, she recorded four of my songs on this album. They the album won a Grammy, and Blues is My Business is one of them. And so, you know, that's cool and everything, but financially, that's not a big deal. Writing songs for Etta James, she was, you know, uh, she's a legend, which is the word they use for people who don't sell records anymore, right? Um, and it's unfortunate because it's an amazing record. David Z mixed the crap out of it. He did a great job. And then I got this message from my publisher that. The biggest TV show in the world back at that point in time, this is 90s, was The Sopranos. And the Sopranos people called and said, we want to use the blues as my business. And we not only want to use it, we want to use it over the end title of an episode, which is the best placement you can get because the whole song plays and you make more money. And um, so that was a big deal. And plus the reruns on it, you know, I mean, the performance royalties were, were phenomenal. And then it kind of died down after a few years. And then this is just a good example of what how weird songs are. Because writing a song is like building a building and then people move into your building and they pay you rent for a while. And then they move out and somebody else moves in. So then James Galdolfini died. And so there was a big uptick in interest in the sh show. And so they started rewriting the show all over the world again. You know, and so kind of a sad way to make money, but okay. And then, so little Steven was on that show playing Silvio Dante. And so he noticed the song. And then years later, I got a text from a friend of mine who's like a Springsteen fanatic, which I am not a Springsteen fanatic. I'm kind of more of a little Steven fanatic, actually. I love that guy. So this friend of mine texts me and says, did you know that Blues is My Business is on the new Little Steven album? And I was like, no, because they don't have to tell you. They have to pay you, but they don't have to tell you. So I said, no way. Then I Googled it and I was like, holy crap. So little Steven is a big Twitter guy. And he's also a guy where if you DM him on Twitter, which is not something I really do, he actually gets back to you. And he's super funny. He's like the most charming guy you'll ever meet. So we got to be pals. So, um, and then he did, an, he did a, a, a movie, like some movie about the history of Asbury Park. And then they did a concert and him and Springsteen are playing the song together. Of course, Springsteen doesn't sing. He's just playing guitar. And I'm I like, I, I messaged little Steven. I was like, you couldn't throw him a verse. <laughs> you couldn't do it. So oh, then he made a live album, put the song on it again. And I met him when he did a show here and we, we got to be pals. And then I put out a, a record of my own stuff about seven years ago called Every Part of the Buffalo. It was a brilliant career move. I made that album and then I decided I'm not going to play live anymore. Right. When I put the album out, that was smart. You're doing that with um, this one too, aren't you? I'm not, I haven't played in seven or eight years and I don't plan on doing it again. Um, but it was really stupid to like put that album out and then quit. But then I sent little Steven the album and he and his wife who also played his wife, that woman who played his wife on Sopranos, that's his wife. I did not know that one. And I love Sopranos. Maureen is her name and she's delightful and they are just the greatest couple. And she loved the album. And I think maybe she nudged him a little bit. So on Little Steven's Underground Garage on Sirius XM Radio, they do this thing, the coolest song in the world this week. And they picked one of the songs on that record to be that. And so that was a, a really a, a great thing. So that's the story of that song. In the meantime, literally 200 blues bands playing at the bunkers of Milwaukee and the bunkers of, you know, Tahoe or whatever have covered that song and probably two or three of them have even licensed it and the rest of them just took it and played it and put it on their local albums 
which, you know, who cares? It's still a, a very a, a compliment. So that song has gotten to be kind of like a standard, you know, like Sweet Home Chicago or something like that, because so many people have played it. That is fascinating. Oh, the best version, <laughs> my favorite version. Everyone thinks it's the Etta James version, but no. The U.S. Air Force Band of Liberty put that song on one of their albums. I had to give them, I didn't have to, I gave them a gratis license, a free license to do it. And so it's, it's all horns, but it's the Air Force Band playing my song. And I was like, this, I, I have to say yes, because this is too weird. <laughs> I love that. In Sopranos, I discovered one of my, I would say, favorite bands in the last 10 years to be Alabama 3, the people do the do, do the introduction song to the Sopranos. They're a fascinating band. They have a lot of rootsy. They're, you know, European or British or whatever, and they have all kinds of different American influence music, and they're, they're a fascinating band to study, too. The ones that did the That's up. Got myself a gun. Yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah. That's their, is that the best theme song for a TV show ever? They got a lot of good songs though, and they do some really good covers. One actually, I do cover every show is they do a version of John Prine's um, "Speed of the Sound of Loneliness," oh. and it's on the same album. And I think it's "Welcome to Cold Harbor Lane" or something like that. And their version of that is jaw dropping. Like that. Like I cover their version of it. It's just fascinating uh, to check out. Um, that but, song, the line in that song, you're out there running just to be on the run. Oh my God. That gets me every time. What a song they, in the Alabama three version, they, they kind of switch up the lyrics too. And it just, it, it, I like their, their version of it too. They, you know, I come home late to come home early, come home big when I'm feeling small, come home straight or come home fucked up. Sometimes I don't come home at all. I mean, it just, it's just so poetic. I absolutely It's a love perfect it. song. I think it's there's, a perfect there's song. Only, there's, a, there's not very many of those around, but that's a perfect song. Yeah. I would highly recommend check out the Alabama 3 version, speaking of Sopranos. Um, so let's get back to your record. Tell us a little about your, your album quick, and what I'll do is on the show is I'll split this interview into a variety of parts, and it comes out every couple weeks, and I'll have okay. I'll play a song off that uh, to feature just to keep you, just to keep it pumping you know to keep people listening to it and checking it out uh so how about overall did you want to talk about the genesis of the album uh how you came up with the idea or should i just ask you about certain songs how would you like to go about that well i'll tell you a little bit it's not a it's not a uh, uh, that exciting of a story it's a covid thing i was never going to make another record because why would i that's not my job i don't play live i i'm my own worst client I am the least favorite artist of mine that I work with. Um, it's not because I have low self-esteem. It's that I really, really love producing and writing records for other artists. I mean, I love my job so much. I, and that's my favorite thing to do. But it was COVID and things had slowed down. I wasn't doing nothing, but I wasn't that busy. So I had all these orphan songs left over from you know, because for every blues is my business, there's literally a hundred songs I write that don't ever get used for anything. Sometimes that's because they suck. Sometimes it's because they're mediocre. But there was a few sitting around that I thought were really good songs. And then I had to pick ones that I thought I could sing, too, because I'm not, you know, Pavarotti over here. Um, so I picked I found a pile of these songs, you know, enough to do a record. And I just started chipping away at it. And luckily, my pal Noah Levy had right before COVID, he built a great studio above his garage where he could record drums. Cause you Chubby know, Mammal. Could be in- 
Yep, Chubby Mammal. Yeah, a great studio with the worst studio name of all time. Sorry, that's that's I told him that that's like that's horrible, but it doesn't matter because Noah Levy is playing drums in it. So I, he was able to do some drum tracks, and I started putting the stuff together, and I got some of my favorite people collaborators to, to, to work on it. Noah plays some of the drums and, uh, Peter Anderson, probably my closest musical buddy I've ever had. Um, he plays drums on a lot of it. And, um, Tim O'Regan from Jayhawks sings on it. Some Ian Alice played, Ian Allison played one of the bass tracks. Cause it was a, it's this kind of the song on there. That's a total who ripoff. And I can't play a John Entwistle bass line, but he can. So he did that. And then Gordy Johnson played an upright bass and Jeff Victor did some keyboards and that's about it. Um, was Mayasich on there? Yeah. Mayasich is on uh, another word for God. He played some slide. I, I don't think I'd ever make a, anytime I get to get Paul over is a good day. I, I'm, I love that guy. Um, so that's about it uh, of the, of the people that played on it. Okay. That, um, that's awesome. Wow. Let's, so I'll go through a couple songs. Maybe can you tell us about the story behind the song, how you came up with sure. the song? How about the song California Sober, the one you have a video to, the catchy song? Uh, what's the story behind that song? It's very rare that I write a song about a specific person, but that one kind of is about a specific person. By the time you get to the second verse in a song, it's no, it's whatever it was about. Now it's about the song. It's about reacting to the first person. It becomes about itself. But I did write that about this person I met um, that uh, I don't know what to say. He, I love the guy. I do. I love the guy. But um, if you listen to the words of the, of the lyrics of the song, you'll, he, that's him. And um, that one I wrote alone. Um, but I really like it. I really love Noah's drums on it. And I really love Tim O'Regan, that he plays drums in the Jayhawks, but he's the one who does all those beautiful Beach Boys harmonies uh, for the Jayhawks. And he lives close by here, and he's we're pals. And he sang the harmonies he sang really elevated it. How about the title track "Half Past Never"? Well, if you're married like me, and you're not an idiot, then every record you make will have a love song for your wife. Um, if you are an idiot then if you don't do that then you're either no longer married or no longer a musician but i am still married and i am still a musician and i love my wife and i love writing love songs about her and so that's where that one came from i think the music is definitely like i'll be candid uh not all the songs. California Sober is just me being me, but Half Past Never is one of my, like, I love the replacement songs. Nice. So transitioning to, how about Not As Pretty? I like that one. Oh, you do? Yeah. Well, then you must have a mean streak. <laughs> that's a nasty little piece of business. That I wanted song. to put that one on the podcast. Yeah, that's a rocker. I love that one. I When I sent the record to little Steven, I said, this is the one that sounds the most like the music you play on Underground Garage because it's um, mean and punky and garagey and it has a little mop the hoople in it and a little New York Dolls I think What that was that song about? Nothing <laughs> It's just <laughs> words that I thought were cool look, look at the lyric, I mean just look at it written down and you're like 
I mean, but some of my favorite songs are about nothing. Tell me what Jumpin' Jack Flash is about. That's not about anything. There's no narrative in there. There's no story in there. And it's like one of the greatest songs ever written. A song doesn't have to be about anything. Or how about Bob Dylan's songs? I never know what he's talking about, but I always agree with him. <laughs> we just did a top five Bob Dylan songs podcast with a bunch of musicians and media got together. And we I do that every now and then. And, and uh, one of the guy's main songs was the Mighty Quinn, Quinn the Eskimo. And then Tom Mischke, my buddy TD, he goes, but what the hell is it about? Enough. We don't know. I love the song. I cover the song. I love the song. I don't know what he's talking about either. <laughs> yeah, from a Buick Six, and you know all those songs on Blonde on Blonde and 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 Highway sixty one and Bring It All Back Home. Some of them you know what he's talking about, but some of them are just like, I just discovered smoking weed and taking speed, and I'm gonna write a song. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's perfect. Man.
bringing home this week's episode of the Minnesota Music Shakedown. It's another new song by one of the featured guests this week, Patrick Tanner, with the song Don't Get Left Behind. Big thank you to Andrew Crowley from Organica Recording for assisting in post-production. This has been the Minnesota Music Shakedown. If you'd like to toss a buck or two in the podcast tip jar, please go to patreon.com forward slash Music. If you like what I do, check out my new website, MarkStereoMusic.com. For artists or song submissions, please email me at MarkStereoMusic at gmail.com or message me on social media. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time. Already